Hi friends, this is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 33. And I'm on with Ivana Grahovic, and she is part of the amazing work, uh, this team over at FacingAddiction.org, and we actually have not met yet, right? So... Ivana, so yet, friends, it means you're eligible too in certain circles, but yet means it's going to happen. We're going to put it out there in the universe, right, Ivana? We will meet meet one day. So we actually have tons of friends in common. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Carly Keys, I had on this podcast in the mm-hmm. earlier, earlier days. So you're still in the early days, but Carly was in the early, early days and she was like Mesozoic era. Very historic. So. Mesozoic. Yes, Got right? it. Okay. So this uh-huh. was in 2016. So Ivana, just so that, you know, um, I'll catch you up. I all of a sudden had a lot to say on Thanksgiving day, 2016. And I recorded 16 episodes of this podcast in six weeks. So wow. <laughs> Carly was part of that. So the last episode of last year was on New Year's Eve which is pretty cool. Um, and so you are now in the more, um, I've grown up a little bit, right. (laughs) Where I'm just releasing one episode a week now. Uh, and so it's so good to have you on the show. Everyone's like, you have to meet Ivana. You have to talk to her, especially on this podcast. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very honored and excited. Well, the feeling is very mutual. So can you tell us a little bit, um, I would love for listeners to hear from your own words, who you are and how you got connected with facingaddiction.org. Sure, absolutely. Um, I am a woman in long-term recovery from addiction. I was addicted, yep, I was addicted to heroin when I was in college and I was also struggling with eating disorders when I was in college and it, uh, it changed my life. You know, it changed the trajectory of my life to have that struggle and at that time of my life and, uh, in the process of, you know, sinking further into, um, the, the pain and and suffering of addiction and, and how far it took me down and, and what it took to, to, to be spared and, and to heal and to recover and to transform from that point in my twenties and, uh, to get sober at 28 truly changed the trajectory of my life. So, uh, as a result of my experiences, I'm a very loud and proud vocal recovery advocate. And because of my experiences in college, I got to spend the first part of my professional career really being part of the pioneering recovery, uh, collegiate recovery movement to help bring recovery communities to college campuses to support the um, 143% increase of college students seeking treatment from addiction, which occurred between 99 and 2009, and uh, got to... um, start the program at the University of Michigan as a grad student. It was called Students for Recovery, and it's now been, uh, it's evolved to a formal collegiate recovery program. And and the incredible Matt Statman, who was a grad student with us when we started it, um, he's now the professional director 
And then I went on to work at the University of Texas Center for Students in Recovery and ran that program for four years, 2010 to 2014, and worked with the uh, UT Board of Regents to expand it to all nine UT system schools in 2012. And then in 2014, I was recruited to serve as executive director of a nonprofit called Transforming Youth Recovery, based in Solana Beach, North County, San Diego, that was giving grants to um, support the collegiate recovery landscape, the recovery high school movement, and other recovery advocacy initiatives, which is how I met Greg Williams, the director of the Anonymous People, who's now the co-founder and executive vice president of Facing Addiction. And um, I got to work very closely with uh, Facing Addiction as it was being created back in 2014, end of 2014. Um, they came and asked if we would help by serving as the um, fiduciary umbrella 501c3 as they were getting their 501c3 to the upcoming um, uh, Unite to Face Addiction rally, which was held in October of 2015. So we were working closely together uh, that entire year leading up to the rally. And after I um, left Transforming Youth Recovery, went back to Austin for a little bit to help turn around a nonprofit treatment center, I then became the director of advancement for Facing Addiction in October of 2016. And that's where I am today. So, friends, pretty much Ivana's a badass. <laughs> and I mean that with the utmost of respect. That is such a cool story, you know. And so we have so many things in common, it seems like. Uh, I've spoken openly about being in recovery from an eating disorder myself. And mm -hmm. also, I am back at U of M. I actually started last summer in a pre-med post-bac program <clears throat> at, uh, in LA. And I realized that the divine was redirecting me back to my hometown of Ann Arbor for reasons I did not understand at the time. And so I happened to be a co-president of students for recovery, um, I, right now. So wow. And that's, oh my I, and I'm sure that's one of the reasons people are like, you need to talk to Ivana. You need to talk to Ivana. So yeah, it's all kind of coming full circle a little bit in some, certain respects uh, with that. That is incredible. Right? Yes. And we started um, Students for Recovery at the Center for Students for Recovery at UT also. So there would be a student group wing of sure. the, uh, the program. And, and we had a saying, good things happen to presidents of students for recovery. Awesome. <laughs> so, I like that. I'm, yeah, that's I'm fabulous. I received that. Yeah, no, it's, it's very cool. We did something last night, actually a sober skate. Uh, so students uh -huh. of recovery, if you're in the Ann Arbor area, it's open to anyone. Um, anything, anyone, if you want an environment that is, uh, we provide service and social opportunities. Uh, or opportunities to serve the community and opportunities to have fun. And oftentimes we're doing, we're having fun in all capacities, right? And so we do that in a substance-free environment. So it's 
pretty cool to be able to do that because so many people um, just don't want to be around that all the time, you know, just don't want to be around alcohol and um, any uh, anything else uh, all the time, even if they drink. Um, so it's a, a safe space and it's a place that you can do so many different things with really cool people um, without the extra stuff, um, which is really cool. So we did this sober skate at Yost Ice Arena. How night. was it? It was. So I was much at the fun. first one. We did the first nice. one in 2009, and That's it was a so blast. Cool. Yeah, this was so much fun. Uh, I'll have to send you pictures. It's it's just a lot of. It was a lot of fun. I was like the grand show. I was wearing, using one of those blue things, and then I started to go around <laughs> holding because <someone> <laughs> I was. Like, you know, and, and that's the thing, right? When, because you all have heard me say all the time, like we're all in a, uh, recovery from something, like, and and you know what? I, and I need to be mindful of when I say that too, because some people do need to be in some serious recovery because of the things that in which they've encountered in their lives, right? Or where they are, where they find themselves, and so one thing that I know is that. If you have had some sort of substance use disorder or an eating disorder or a history of sexual abuse or sexual assault, these things take from your life. And so when you are able to do the work to repair and heal and get into what recovery means for you based on what you've experienced, it is such a beautiful thing. Life can take on new meaning and you don't have to regret what's happened to you and you just almost are like a child I love spending time with my nephews because they see life Mm. in a different way than I do right and Mm -hmm. I was so exhausted yesterday because it was just a really long day and when you're an exact board member of a student org you generally need to show up for the events in which you've been planning, (laughs) right? That's generally the protocol. And I took some time in between work and sober skate, but it was, I'm just so glad that I did it. Um, I'm glad that I went because I actually had a blast and it was so lovely to see so many other people enjoying themselves and enjoying their lives. And I got to connect with one of my friends on a deeper level. And so it is cool to kind of take those risks and do those things that you don't always feel like doing um, because it does open your eyes to so many new things. So I'm glad that you were there to help start it and that it's still going on so that people like myself and others can enjoy it uh, and participate in their own lives again. So that's, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So awesome. Yeah, it is really, that really cool. That is so cool. So another cool thing that we have in common, so I interviewed Jason Whitney, so he'll be on a future episode. Actually, when this episode airs, his will be released the week before this episode airs. So uh, he is, he's also done some work with collegiate recovery programs and collegiate recovery communities. So, yes. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. We have a lot Very of friends cool. in common. Yeah, we have a lot of people in common, which is, it's always, good people always tend to draw in more good people. So it's just one of those things. So, yeah. How so, cool. Right? Very totally. cool. Yes. So Facing Addiction, <clears throat> I've mm-hmm. explored their website 
And I love that they have tapped into a lot of different arenas. So their website, friends, is facingaddiction.org. And it's pretty comprehensive in terms of finding resources. And so there are different community events, advocacy, counseling, legal, health and wellness, schools, recovery, treatment, prevention, family. And I think I've named everything. So if someone is struggling, how would you, what would be most helpful, do you think, Ivana, for them? And then also want to kind of take a look at some of the stuff that Facing Addiction, some of the programmatic things that Facing Addiction does so that people mm-hmm. are aware of it and then move into some advocacy. So if someone was interested in volunteering and or participating uh, besides paying money, because that's always important. So I'll allow, I want us to talk about that because money mm-hmm. is very helpful because you all are a nonprofit, correct? Correct. Yeah. So that's really important. So we can come back to that a little bit later, but someone is calling, you know, and they, or they reach out to someone else, uh, via social media or a text message or a phone call. What, how would facing addiction be helpful to someone? So our organization is stepping into the void that has existed for the addiction recovery movement all these years. There's never been an overarching uh, umbrella org like the American Heart Association, mm-hmm. like like the American Cancer Society for the addiction recovery cause. And as a result, um, you know, that lack of national presence and national force and national awareness has allowed um, public perceptions to be, to remain very stigmatized. And as a result of those stigmatized public perceptions, there's a lot of stigmatizing policies out there which compounds ultimately uh, the reason why overdose is now the number one cause of death in America, because we don't have enough funding to research this issue, to fund treatment beds, to support uh, the creation of long-term recovery support continuums in communities to support people along all stages of their recovery. For so long, treatment has been the center of the field, but a treatment episode is not the only thing that a person wanting to sustain their recovery needs to access in order to live in recovery, protect their recovery, and manage stress and uh, transition points without sliding back uh, into old addictive, um, you know, experiences. And so that for so long, we've only viewed treatment. Oh, like people with addiction, they just need treatment and then they'll be fine or they won't. And there's all this new, um, practice based evidence that actually people need ongoing support throughout all stages of their life. Um, and so it's our role now as this organization to proliferate that message 
to reframe addiction for America, that you can survive it. It is preventable and you can have a good life after addiction has occurred. Um, families need support. They need a voice. They need somewhere to turn. And also we need to proliferate the resources that are out there because there, there thus far has not been one central place that people turn to. So when you were talking about, you know, there's a, there's the, the webpage with, you know, prevention and treatment and school-based recovery supports and advocacy, that's our newly debuted addiction resource hub, which is a mapping uh, platform that we are now going to be really pushing that out to start crowdsourcing locally where people turn to in their communities to get help for their addiction, to protect their recovery, to seek help for a loved one, and on and on and on, extrapolated out into every single community. So that is one huge initiative that we are now really focusing on uh, fortifying. I love that. I, I really love that. One of the things that happened for me related, but not completely related when I, I remember studying, I was really good at finding secret, quiet study places. That's like a gift I have. And so I was I, <laughs> located a place, which was a far cry from my first experience as an undergrad. <laughs> I will tell you, completely different. So now as a non-traditional student that is paying for their education, I was like, I need to study, right? So I found a spot <laughs> and I remember reading, I had taken a quick break from chemistry. So I did a year of chemistry in 10 weeks. Two terms. Whoa! Yeah. So chemistry and chemistry lab, right? Now that's badass. It was insane. Thank you. So (laughs) I was taking a break and I remember hearing about Brock Turner getting, now he's the one who raped a woman unconscious, right? Getting barely a, not even a slap on the wrist. It was like a slap on the top of the fingertip of his index finger, right? Mm. And I said, you know what, I'm going to be a rape advocate because that's what I knew of at the time. I'm going to be an advocate for someone who's been sexually assaulted. And then Mm. I got hooked in, but I knew that I was leaving California. I was coming back, going back to Vegas for about a month and then to tie up loose ends. That's where I had lived for almost 10 years and then Mm -hmm. coming um, back home to Ann Arbor. So when I got here, I did get hooked, hooked into a nonprofit that um, provides free resources and support for survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. But the reason I say that is because I also had a heart for eliminating stigma for those two, right, sexual assault and domestic violence, for mental illness and for addiction and alcoholism. Because Mm -hmm. part of the reason that people get stuck, I believe, in in addition to the actual biological changes that happen to the body, right? Um, with both mental illness and addiction and alcoholism, there are changes that happen. So in addition to that, there's significant stigma that exists still today in 2017. And so as a result of that stigma, what does that equal? Silence, generally. So mm-hmm. when people feel stigmatized or marginalized or set apart and not in a good way, 
or pushed aside, they feel invisible. They feel like they blend into the wall, like they're not really worthy of assistance. And, and you can definitely tell that when you look at if someone announces that they have cancer, people feel sorrow and sympathy for them. Mm-hmm. When someone says that they are, except for when people say, which is new to hear, I'm a person in long-term recovery, and I've had several people on my podcast that are in long-term recovery, and I think it's so amazing, badass. It adds value to the community. It adds value to your family. It's just such a beautiful thing and such a miracle for people to have come out from the other side. I mean, literally walking from hell to a new life. It's a gift and it's a gift that should be rejoiced and revered. However, many people don't talk about it. Why? Because of stigma. Even someone who has 10 years, you know, 20 years may not feel comfortable talking about it depending on what's going on. And so I'm not here to tell people what they should and should not do in their own lives. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that as communities and as people in this country in particular, we could do a better job of being supportive of people who need help. Because someone who is struggling with heroin, like you did, is not any less of a human and is not any less in need of less help than someone that is struggling with brain cancer or breast mm. cancer, right? Um, yes. We have a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of pink stuff out there, right? Especially in October. The pink washing of America. I mean, really. And I am in full support of people who are fighting for their lives with that insidious disease. I'm also in full support of people fighting for their lives with the insidious disease of addiction and alcoholism because it is just as bad uh, and sadly doesn't have the support, like you said, around it like other diseases do. Um, yes. And so facing addiction is systematically working to quickly uh, achieve large-scale shifts, system shifts, to overhaul America's approach mm -hmm. to this disease, shifting the response from a criminal justice and shame approach yes. to that of a compassionate long-term healthcare response. And so that is why the Unite to Face Addiction rally occurred on the National Mall on October 4th, uh, October 4th of 2015, because the addiction recovery movement has never had its equivalent of the AIDS quilt moment. Mm -hmm. that, that unifying, galvanizing moment that literally signaled the shift in the consciousness of America. And so with the Unite to Face Addiction rally, as 35,000 people from all across the nation gathered in D.C., and it was supposed to be actually 100,000. Those were the numbers that were being reported in, uh, but that number was not as big as it hopefully could have been because of Hurricane Joaquin oh. looming on the East, East Coast. Yeah, and it was, it was frustrating because I got to D.C. like a week early. We were doing something at the... Uh, Department of Education around recovery supports needed in 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 uh, you know on campuses, 
And so I got to be there a week early, thank goodness. And I could see the whole time that there was like barely this fine mist coming mm-hmm. down. And there was like, but of course, the, the media, they're so cute. They love to have these dramatic, you know, untenable responses. And so they kept pushing out that this was going to be like, oh my gosh, the hurricane of the century. And, you know, there were 22 events that were supposed to occur on the National Mall that weekend. And ours was the only one that happened. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, you, you hopefully you'll be able to speak with Greg Williams at one point because it I was... I want to. <laughs> Girl, you have to make it happen. I have reached out to him, so you just nudge... Oh, I'll make it happen. Nudge yes. your friend, please. Yes. I will nudge my friend because it was literally an epic saga that entire week for him and Jim Hood, our incredible CEO, who was just so incredibly tenacious um, after having lost his son Austin to an overdose uh, right before his 21st birthday. And Jim was a very successful uh, marketing executive on Wall Street. And when that occurred and when he he completely had to go through the bleak experience of the parent of a young person struggling with addiction and the lack of compassion, the lack of support and the, like the, the, the snake oil salesmen that prey on families who don't have like a recovery friend, a recovery Sherpa to help them navigate and sift through the endless, um, you know, not ethical places that try to prey on people in these situations. Um, Jim and Greg, what they had to experience that weekend as they went back and forth with the insurance companies, with the national park system, uh, and to have pulled it off. I mean, that in itself could be another really awesome recovery documentary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like um, it. So what was achieved besides the absolutely most incredible sober experience I've ever had? in a group setting, um, it was literally like the most incredible natural high of mind, body, spirit, unity, um, redemption, anything I had ever had implanted, imprinted in me as a result of my experiences as a person struggling with addiction, fighting to recover, going through the criminal justice system, going through probation, uh, applying for schools, checking the box, you name it, the experience of being on the National Mall surrounded by tens of thousands of other people just like me and families of loss who had lost their loved ones, their kids, both kids to this disease. Wow. It filled everything up inside of me that society has tried to gouge from me and label me and stigmatize me. The unity of that experience was utterly remarkable and Carly was there and she can tell you about it as well but we we walked out of there like to standing 10 feet tall it was empowering it was healing it was social justice it was it was it was a life-changing experience and the surgeon general uh Dr. Vivek Murthy was there and he was so overcome by that experience of, um, 
you know, he talked about how when he was leaving the hospital where he was working to go be Surgeon General, the team of nurses that worked for him came to him and said, please, please do something about addiction. Please. We can no longer have these hospital systems having absolutely no idea what to do, how to refer, how to treat, um, how to coordinate care. Uh, and so that was implanted in him. And then when he came to the rally and came face to face with this issue, both ends of the spectrum, the horrifying devastation of, of, of youth lost, a generation is being swallowed up by this epidemic of, of opioid consumption. Um, and then the other side, the long-term recovering folks who uh, have finally coalesced into a constituency of consequence. And he said, you know, as long as I'm Surgeon General, America will no longer have to face addiction alone. And so he commissioned the first ever report on addiction in America titled Facing Addiction in America, the Surgeon General's Report on Alcohol, Drugs, and Health. And that was just released on November 17th of 2016. And so now we have a touchstone. We have a benchmark for how we can continue to reorient our nation's healthcare system to taking this issue very seriously, no longer sweeping it under the rug, no longer turning a blind eye to it, no longer allowing medical schools to either completely leave it off their curricula or to only devote maybe four hours during an entire four years of med sure. school. So that was one of the many uh, victories that Facing Addiction has already achieved in, in its just barely two years of yeah. existence. That's awesome. And I, I know that they also have like, not they're not called advocates. They are called something else uh, within the community because I signed up to be one. What are they ambassador. Yes, an, an ambassador. ambassador. So I'm an ambassador, and I met the Surgeon General. He came to my work um, a couple years ago. Yeah, I think in 2015. Wow. Yeah. So I have a medical background now because I started working, and I still work with this uh, primary care company. And so we provide uh-huh. a unique way, a unique model of care to patients. And so each patient gets a clinical health coach, which was my role when I was patient facing and they get a provider. And so most, more often than not, they're primary care providers like MDs or DOs, but we do also have nurse practitioners who are amazing. And so, and then we also have behavioral health specialists. And so many of them, and we look at the patient as in a holistic manner so we take a mm-hmm. holistic approach. So it's not just you get a cough syrup when you have a cough. We look at the entire picture. And it's not just this patient. We don't use the word non-compliant. Uh, that's a bad word in our, uh, in our company because you just never know what else is going on as to why they're not taking their diabetes medication the way it's prescribed. You know, once we ask a few questions or more than a few questions, we might find out a lot of really good information as Mm -hmm. to why things are going the way that they are, especially when there may be not only uh, multiple uh, complex medical issues, but some mental illness, and sometimes there's addiction as well in the mix. So it's not just that cut and dry, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh, they just don't want to take their their insulin, or they just don't want to take their... uh, 
medication for hypertension. It's not, it's not that simple generally. And so to your point, addiction as well, it can be complicated. And at the same time, it can be simple if people are able to navigate and know where to go. And so it sounds like facing addiction is doing the hard work for the nation to help people be able to navigate this and not and not feel alone because that's part of it, right? Community is so imperative that when I say some share something with you and you say, "Oh, you know what, Shadima, me too." There is something incredibly powerful about those two words, "me too." Because then I'm sharing my burden with you, it lightens the load for me, and it's not as if I'm only carrying it by myself anymore because now there's one other person that is there in this fight with me or in this struggle with me or in this, you know, whatever part of life, you know? Yes. And demonstrating that you can overcome That's right. whatever your bur- your burden is currently as you step forward to very courageously face what needs to be faced to re <laughs> rebirth yourself right. to to reprogram and reorchestrate the way your body processes life a whole new right? life yeah totally. yes well because and it's that, not just that simple you know like a lot of times people minimize i think that was to your point as well people minimize it's not just someone shooting up or it's not someone drinking Right. The picture looks different also because sometimes people think, oh, it's just that person under the bridge. Like, that's not what it is. People are hidden amongst their communities, literally dying. Um, And they don't have to because there are also people in their communities like yourself with long term recovery that are living, you know, and they can share their own experiences with someone that may be struggling still and form that bond and bridge the gap. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And that's why, you know, we started students for recovery at the university of Michigan because all of us in the group had had these really isolating, alienating experiences as we were applying uh, to get into the University of Michigan. And, you know, a lot of us had some criminal backgrounds sure. as a result of the disease of addiction sure. and academic transcripts, which were, you know, they, they mapped out the, the, <laughs> the progression of the disease of addiction. <laughs> totally. Uh, and so having to go advocate for oneself and it being a very scary experience and not having anyone before us sure, sure. who was like, hey, it doesn't matter that you like totally fl- you know, flamed out of Wayne State University because you were shooting heroin and smoking crack and totally. had anorexia and bulimia. Like that's that's not how you're gonna End do up, school yeah. now that you're totally. in recovery. Like you have a whole treasure trove of like, you know, actions and thoughts and and you know energy and, and resources available, tools available to you that you're actually using now to initiate, sustain, and preserve your recovery and help others with it. Like those same practices and principles, if you apply them and make them come alive, 
in your classroom setting, in your educational experience, like you're going to soar, you're going to soar and you're going to help others along the way. And you're going to be a, a, a peer amongst your peers, right? you know? And so none of us had anyone before us to show that to us. So when we finally found each other on that campus, um, we were like, oh my God, like we, we cannot, like the thought of a student after us, a Carly, a Chidema, um, you know, whoever mm-hmm. having to go through that experience again, we were like, no, absolutely not. This is where we put our foot down. You know, we're going to form something here. We're going to build a nexus and never again will a student in recovery have to feel the shame and isolation and alienation that we did. This is to be celebrated. We are a triumph and we're here to be of service. That's right. And that's how it came into being. I love that. So we could talk for a really long time. So friends, don't be sad. Ivana, she doesn't know this yet, but she'll probably come back on <laughs> at some point. I'd um, love to. Awesome. That's so cool. So it sounds like this hub is comprehensive in nature and can direct people to so many different resources. So friends, if you are interested in advocacy, um, doing what I do, it doesn't have to be in the form of a podcast. It doesn't have to be in the form of being a part of Students for Recovery. It can be in a way that's authentic to you and to your unique voice. There is a button that says advocacy. So if you just press that, you will get linked to how you can participate in this worthy cause. The last thing I'm going to have Ivana tell us about is how can we donate? If we are interested and we have the financial means, how can we donate? And then we'll kind of wrap things up because everyone has something else that they have to do, sadly. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Chidima, for asking that question. We are a nonprofit, so we rely on uh, our ability to achieve this mission can only be achieved with the help of the public. Uh, We do not accept any funding from alcohol, tobacco, or pharmaceutical companies. Um, And so we really rely on the generous support, the generosity of spirit of... uh, you know, folks like people out there listening to this podcast, any, uh, every bit helps That's and right. every bit helps foundations, um, private donors. Uh, we, we would love for corporations to start getting involved and understanding that the recovery community is not being marketed to other than treatment. Right. But, uh, I don't need that today. Thank goodness. You know, that's right. You um, did that already. That's right. Been there, done that six times actually. Right. And, uh, yeah. So please visit www.facingaddiction.org and you'll see a donate now button. And truly like, even if people give $25 a month, um, that will help us groom that many more grassroots recovery advocates and, and continue to shape policy, shift public perception. And we are currently raising funds um, for all the initiatives that you and I have spoken about regarding the advocacy and the addiction resource hub and and uh, shifting the healthcare response. Uh, but we also want to do another Unite to Face Addiction concert and rally. Awesome. 
Yep. And, and, and bring that experience to that many more people who need it because America really needs a great healing around this issue right now. Countless families are suffering with, um, tragic, tragic losses of, of their, of their loved ones, their children, communities are grieving. People are too scared to acknowledge why their child died at such a young age and so people are frozen. People are frozen and they're scared of being shunned in their communities. They're scared of being shunned by their legislators, policymakers, yeah. institutions. Um, and so we need to facilitate a great healing for America and to give America a higher vision that recovery is the promise of a better future after addiction and that addiction can be survived and transcended and that people with the proper tools and support and and community alliance, they can return to their culture. They can return to their community and have so much more to give and be there in in such a bigger capacity than they ever were before. And that's really what this is all about. That's right. And so I just want to honor, so I'm going to donate as soon as we hang up, um, friends. So please follow follow suit um, because this is really important. And so I just want to honor you, Ivana, if I may, um, and really thank you for not only sharing and disclosing some things that, even though it's, you're far from those things, it still isn't always easy to be this honest, uh, because people do have opinions, right? And so for anyone who is struggling, uh, or has a loved one that is struggling, this is a person. So Ivana is a person that had a problem with heroin and that problem caused her to slowly die essentially. And it sounds like the legal system was involved and yet she was able to get into graduate school, not just any grad school, any of the 19 colleges and schools at the University of Michigan are top 10, period. So whichever school you you can close your eyes and pick one, you, and if you get in, you're in the top 10 <laughs> out of schools that are ranked. So academic, like to be able to do that is significant. And to not only go from there and take all of what she's gotten as far as her own recovery, but to be able to and willing to share it with other people, that's the huge gift. And so that's why recovery is the gift that keeps on giving because you don't keep it. You give it away so that you can keep it. And so that is a beautiful thing. So thank you, Ivana, for being here and sharing a sliver of your story and more about um, facingaddiction.org and this amazing organization that is willing to do the hard work and willing to roll up the sleeves so that people are able to recover and rejoin their community as members of the living and sewing back into their community. So thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Chadima. This was an absolute joy to share with you and you are an incredible facilitator for this podcast and thank, thank you, you for your generosity of spirit. And next time I'm in town, we are going oh, yes. to, we're going up. to the lunchroom. Oh okay? yeah. That's what I hear. <laughs> I keep, it keeps coming up. One of my dear friends was in town and we met in Vegas and she 
she li- she's from Michigan as well, but she lives there. And so we went to somewhere else. We went to Green Space, um, another vegan place. But I heard about the lunchroom and we were thinking about that. So yes, no, definitely. And yes, definitely keep us posted. So friends, I will put uh, Ivana's information, contact information, stuff about facingaddiction.org on the show notes as usual. So you'll be able to find it. Um, and we are going to read a couple stories out of Humans of New York stories, and then we will end in the usual way. Um, but yeah, this has been awesome. Roll up your sleeves. It's okay to get dirty because it's better for the common good, right? We just do it. We just do yep. it. We jump right in. We advocate for people that are unable to advocate for themselves until they're able to advocate for themselves, and then they grow up to be Ivana. So just do it. <laughs> just do it. There's no uh, time like the present. So there you go. That's right. That's uh, right. So I have this, um, it looks like a guy and he has a little infant on his, um, in his arms. And it's, he said, I'm glad I had a daughter. Ever since my grandmother died, I've needed the female energy in my life. It's good energy. I mean, when things go wrong, another man can tell you that everything is going to be okay, but not like a woman can. And then, wow, right? it was so sweet. Ugh. Then I have another story, and it looks like um, two sisters. And one says, she helps me with my math homework. When I run out of fingers to count on, she lets me use her fingers, too. How cute is that? Aw. So, community. And then the last one I'll read is... Uh, So someone said, I saw a drummer in Central Park give his sticks to a little kid so that he could have a try. Ten minutes later, this was happening. So the drummer is now behind watching like ten children, (laughs) eleven children, on his drum set. And it's so sweet that um, he just stepped aside and let kids do what they do, which is explore and uh, connect with one another and each other. So it's just, it's why I read these stories. It's like a reconnection to humanity and a reminder that we are all in this together. So I am you, you are me. There are no others and uh, there is no us versus them. So the sooner I can get there and reconnect and remember that we're all community, even when we disagree, even if we have different perspectives, the better and uh, the better it is for us and the more able we are to heal together. So Beautiful. Thanks. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. So friends, thanks for joining us this afternoon and listening. Thank you so much for your love and support. It means a lot to me. I hope you have a gratitude-filled rest of your day. My name is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, GCAS, episode 33. Have a great one. Namaste. Namaste.